this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save all his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, there's, there's lots of news that's being spread. Some of it is, is good and some of it is, is terrible. But what we just read today is amazingly awesome good news. And so, Lord, as we have come together to worship you, let's acknowledge the fact that you are with us because of your son Jesus. And may we proclaim both here and wherever we go that you came in the flesh and made your dwelling among us. And may we praise you not just on December 25th, but every day, may we give glory to you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you may be scratching your heads and saying, well, I know that Christmas this year happens on Sunday, but it's not this Sunday, is it? No, we're, we're, we're jumping the gun. I'm a little early. I won't be with you next week. Lance is going to be here but I already shoehorned in that I wanted to talk about the birth of Jesus, even if I'm a week early. And the truth is, is that we're probably off by more than just seven days when we talk about the birth of Jesus, as we don't really believe that it happened December 25th, but I do think that it is important for us to celebrate. Now, over the last few months, I've done a lot and a lot of reading about English grammar, more than I did in all my years of schooling. And so I've come to be somewhat familiar with the English language and certainly with prepositions. So much so that I kind of think I have a, a handle on the different parts of speech, specifically with prepositions of God. In fact, I've I don't want to brag, but I kind of feel like I'm somewhat of an expert in the language of English. That was supposed to be funny. It didn't come across near as funny. But I mean, listen, I mean, I know a lot about prepositions and, and nouns and prepositions, and I feel like I've got a good handle on it. And I know that God should be a noun, but what if in my now expert professional opinion, would I suggest that maybe he's more than just that. A noun is a, a person, a place, a thing, or an idea. Canyon is a noun because it's a person, but you know it's 
it's also a place, right? So that would be an example of one. Hawaii is a place, and so that would be a, a noun. A bike is a thing, and that's a noun. Love is an idea, and so that would be a noun. And so God clearly is a noun. I don't, I don't think I can convince you otherwise, but, but let me ask you this. How is it that he can embody so many other nouns? You see, God is love. Right? We know about this. John talks about this in his letters and in his gospel. God is, is peace. God is hope. God is joy. God is goodness and he's light and he's grace. And so clearly God is a noun and he embodies other nouns. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, Doug, just stay in your lane. God is a noun and you're a preacher, not an English professor. Stop talking about all these different words and just move on. I don't really care. <laughs> just stop pretending you know about grammar when you don't. That was hurtful, but it is received. I, I get that. But I do want to ask you this one question. How do we know that God is all the nouns that we listed? How do we know this? I, I just said God is love and peace and hope and joy and goodness and light, and you're like, yeah, 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 but I, how do we really know this? Because God is a God of action. We know that God is love because God loves. We know that God is hope because God gives hope. We know that God is light because God shines light. We know that God is grace because God shows His grace. You got it figured out, right? God is because God does. God, therefore, at least in my mind, could be a verb because he is a God of action. So real quick, just to make sure your, your blood is pumping and it's making it all the way up to the brain and working its way throughout the body, let me ask you this. Just a simple question. Don't overthink this. How does one become a mountain climber? Don't overthink this. How do you become a mountain climber? What do you have to do? You climb a mountain. Thank you. I, I was thinking somebody's going to say, well, you got to get boots and you got to get... No, you, you become a mountain climber when you climb a mountain. If you plan to climb a mountain, that does not make you a mountain climber. Once you climb the mountain, you are a mountain climber. How does one become a business owner? What do they have to do? They have to own a business. How does one become a generous giver? What do they have to do? They have to give generously. How did God become love and peace and hope and joy and goodness and light 
and grace. How did he become this? He came and he became. And I want to talk about that, but before we do that, we're going to stop for just a minute. I'm going to have a, a two-minute video that we're going to show, and I want you to watch and pay, pay special attention to point of view. Brian? century in this idea of Gnosticism, but that was the struggle that many um, people had uh, in the, the especially late uh, first century, really early second century, is this idea of God becoming flesh. In fact, they said they had such a, a high view of God because God was perfection and, and men, humans were full of evil that there's no way that these two worlds could come together. So it wasn't this idea of that, that Jesus was God. It was the idea that God was Jesus. They just couldn't wrap their, their minds around it. And I think that's why John was so set on beginning the gospel that the way in the way that he did. In fact, it's so different. Now, Mark, he altogether skips the, the birth account of Jesus. Luke is going to cover it. Matthew, as we already read, covered it. But John is going to start in a different place altogether. He's going to start at what he calls the beginning. And that wasn't the beginning as in Mary and Joseph. It was the very beginning. In fact, he says this in John 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. He was with God in the very beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing 
has been made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now we're going to then get the account of John, but this is where he wants to start out. In the very beginning, the very, very beginning, there was darkness. There was nothing. Out of the darkness came light. And that light was Jesus. And so it should be no surprise that Jesus came in the way, in the manner, in the time in which he did. When there was darkness, we talk about darkness that has is, is taken place. Even in our culture, and our society, we, we find ourselves lamenting, complaining, arguing, posting about how we don't like things that are going on in this world and it's terrible and it's awful. But let me tell you about darkness. Darkness would come, Jesus would come in such a time of darkness that after the the, 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 what we would call the president, the leader, would learn of the birth of a child, he would then go on a rampage and murder every child two years and younger in that area. Talk about a time of darkness. And so Jesus came within that darkness. In literal darkness, he came at night. That's when God chose to send His Son. That's when He chose to allow His light to shine. But as I watched that video, I just fell in love with the way they chose to present it. And I love the point of view that they took throughout. And I think that's a really important part of our understanding of who God is and exactly what Jesus had to do. And Paul's going to comment on this several times throughout his letters about what Jesus did to leave heaven to come down. But I love how this video shows we have this overhead point of view throughout the whole time. Did you notice that? Did you catch that? And then what happens? Did you notice the camera angle and how it changed? The, the, the first minute and a half, it, it just keeps showing overhead, overhead, overhead. But then at the very end, you see Joseph and Mary, but how do you see them? You see them from below. And this is where things changed. People, this is where things changed. When God was up above, and now God says, I am coming to down, I am coming down to be with the people. And all of a sudden, we have God's point of view is not just from above, but now He's looking up. I don't care how you classify this. You can call it a noun, a verb, a dangling participle. It doesn't matter. What this really is, is amazing, and it's awesome, and it's humbling, and it's inspiring, and folks, it better be life-changing. Because that's what Jesus came and what He did. You see, the one who had forever been served by angels in heaven came down and was serving humans on earth. That's right. On December 25th, 0 A.D., the year of our Lord, baby Jesus came, 
Son of God, the one from the beginning, took on flesh. Okay, so let's throw out the December 25th. December wasn't even a month, a month at that time. They had completely different systems. And, and now as we try to count back, we think, well, most likely he came probably around 3 B.C. But that's inconsequential. They didn't know that they were counting down to that day. They were awaiting a Messiah. But they had no idea of what would come. Jesus came down and he took on flesh. He took on crying like a baby. He took on stumbling like a toddler. He took on learning like a child and exploring like a preteen. He took on pain and joy. He took on sadness, loneliness. He took on friendship and laughter. He took on eating food and having an upset stomach. He took on splinters in his fingers, stubbing his toes and smashing his thumb. He took on homesickness and hugs, scratches and itches. What we deal with every day is what God experienced as he came down and lived life with us and for us. And eventually, he took on guilt. It took a long time to get to that point. Prior to the cross, he had no understanding or feeling of guilt as we understand it. He had never sinned. And then in one moment, he felt the guilt that you feel because he bore the sins that you committed. That was Jesus on the cross. He took on not only the guilt of your sin, but all sin. And he came to die. But first, he lived. I want to stop for just a minute and I want to think about why he came. Jesus came to die. He was born so that he could die. His ultimate goal was to die for you and take on your sin. That is just crazy, people. It's just crazy. It's not really that logical. It makes no sense. It's not something that I would do, I would choose to do, I wouldn't do, and I certainly wouldn't volunteer any of you to do this. I have three children. I love them very much. I cannot fathom thinking that my plan for my children is for them to be born so that they could suffer for a people even though my child would do no wrong. And that the people in which 
he suffered for would in turn ignore or blaspheme what he did. It just doesn't compute with me. We talk about God being a God of love. And it's one thing to abstractly say God is love. It's another thing to say this is the action in which God did to show his love. For your, for your parents, for your, your, your friends, your neighbors, for the little child that you've held or that you're holding, that's who God came for. He chose to come. His mission was to come into a world to give up all that he had. The joy and splendor of heaven, the angels, the singing, and he's going to come down to a filthy, dirty world in the dark of night and to be laid in a manger, a feed trough that would have smelled to a teenage mother who wasn't married. That's that's how much God loves. And that is the way in which He loves. This is what this week is about. That is what this place is about. The, The carpet, the bricks, the roof, all of this was constructed. All of this was built so that people could come together and talk about the God who came down. The pews are here so you could come in and you can sit and you can sing about and talk about and give thanks and honor and remember the God who came. This table, what we're going to do in just a few minutes, is just, it's all focused on one thing. The God who came in darkness and in brokenness and he said, I'm going to come to die. That's exactly what he did. It's what this life is all about. You were created to honor God and to remember Jesus. A God who came as a child and became a servant to the Father, a king to the people, a savior to the lost, and an example to the saved. That's what Christmas is really all about. I'm not asking that you drag the the tree out of the living room and go throw it in the dump. I'm not saying that we get rid of presents or we denounce Santa or we do stop doing all the things that we do. I'm not saying that we don't sit around a table or that we decorate our houses. I'm saying that as we do those things, let that tree be a reminder of what Jesus did for us. When you go to put that star on top of that tree, remember the star that shone that dark night that led people to Jesus. 
We don't worship the stars, but they do remind us of who Jesus is. And so we're not going to worship a tree, but it certainly should remind us of who Jesus is. And so this week, as you go about and, and you're participating in all the festivities and you're getting ready for folks to come in or you're driving, I just want you to be, be thinking about what Jesus did and the fact that he came. And he came just for you in your dark night, in your brokenness. And he says, I'm going to take your sin that's just wearing you down and I'm going to take your guilt and I'm going to take your loneliness, and I'm going to take your lack of hope, and I'm going, to, I'm going to take all of that, and instead I'm going to give you joy and hope and a future because I'm going to die for you. But first, I want you to watch me live. Because when you see how I live, then you'll know how to live and how to love other people. And so let us consider that this morning as we join together in song and we sing. Please stand with me this morning.